morning uh, or good afternoon or good evening um, from wherever you're watching um, today and, and welcome to Burley Church Online. It's uh, become becoming incredibly feeling normal doing this, uh, just doing my sermon to a camera and Samal. Hey, Samal. <laughs> and, um, but uh, I am looking forward to and we're starting to pray and consider and read the guidelines of how we can also do a bit of this, but also gather in person. Um, so excited by the, I guess, yeah, just being together in the spirit and uh, worshiping God. And, and there's nothing that can, you can't do anything online that quite fully encapsulates being around people. And so, yeah, hope you're doing well. Um, hope uh, mentally. I know a lot of people struggling, uh, isolation, uh, uh, um, financially. Um, just, yeah, we're just praying. And please, please, please reach out. If uh, we can pray for something or there's something we can do or there's ways that we can help. Um, that's what we're about here uh, as a church and as a community. And so, yeah, look, we are, we've been in series and we're, we're about to go into another series, so we're in between. Um, but I really felt this passage this morning could speak to this in-between series and actually leads into the next one, but fits nicely into the discussion around smaller groups, smaller tables we've just had. But let me... um. Let me read. Let me read from Luke, um, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Sorry, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, I should say. And um, let me read about Jesus calling his disciples. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. They were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Jesus standing in a boat teaching people from the lake. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let's catch the nets. Oh, let's prepare the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon or Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee and said, said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James, John, and the sons of Zebedee and Simon's partners. They said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed followed him. The familiar story to most. Most people, if you've been around church for even a little bit, you'll know that these stories are found in the Gospels where Jesus calls people to him and says, I'll make you fishers. Of men. I chose this perspective though from Luke today because I really like something it includes that doesn't include in the other Gospels. I like how Jesus doesn't just say, drop your nets and follow me. Um, before he does that, he instructs them to fish where he says, or he tells them, and it happens to be the deeper water. They'll catch more fish if they bring their nets over to the deeper water. This wouldn't be enough to base a sermon if this was just a one-off thing that Jesus did, but this is a repeated idea right through all the Gospels. 
Jesus has this constant call for his disciples at every step to go deeper. It's a repeated call in various forms over all the Gospels. As the disciples, his students will journey over the next three years. At every stage, Jesus will call them deeper. To deeper inner work, to deeper relationship with him. And it will eventually flow outwards. Just look at any of Jesus' encounters with people. Uh, When he meets someone he doesn't know, for example, let's say the adulterous woman by the well, or the stealing tax collector Zacchaeus, it's always, well, for her, it's a call towards the living water. And for him, it's a call into his house and for some inner work to take place. In both of these conversations found in John 4 and Luke 19, Jesus doesn't say, you guys better stop (laughs) or you'll burn in hell for eternity, die sinners. No, not even close, actually. In both these interactions, he offers them something that would truly satisfy. And he offers a way forward, a way that is transforming, life-giving. Jesus invites them into the deep. Juxtapose this with Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees. And he mentions hell a little bit more when he talks to the essentially the religious. <laughs> he talks about the show they put on, the heavy burden they place on others, the judgments they make. He's longing for them to do the deep work also. He says at one stage, he says, you clean the outside of the cup, but forget the inside. He actually calls them whitewash tombs in Matthew 23, to 27 to 28. How's that for a second? Just take it that for a second. (laughs) Imagine Jesus, I get him to preach next week. And imagine he says, you all look really nice today, but I know that inside you're dead and rotten on the inside. You're like a pretty grave. How do we feel about that? Can you imagine the amount of complaints we'd have that week? The calls we'd have if our speaker called a Christian a pretty tomb because they were dead inside. Pretty harsh words, and I guess that's why they killed him (laughs) or or plotted too. I can imagine we think he's trying to be harsh, but time and time again, Jesus is doing the exact same thing he does for anyone he loves. He's desperate for them, for those that know better, to do the deep work, to go deeper with him, whether it's a sinner who doesn't know anything and has offered something, whether it's those that should know better, whether it's his disciples at the beach, I want you to go deeper, an invitation for deep work. I say all this because we come off the back of two weeks of a real practical mini-series on small tables. And I guess upon reading and reflecting on this verse, this is a chance to address the why. Why are we so focused on smaller conversations? Why are we so focused on the inner transformation? Why are we so focused on small tables? Why? Why change things? Why move towards this? Why focus on this? And to oversimplify it, it's this. We're asked to do deep work, to be a student. We want a community that is following Jesus deeply, 
and transforming lives deeply. Whose lives? (laughs) Yours. Ours. Anyone we come across. We want their life to change through the deep work of Jesus. That's what we do. You know, bike stores make bikes. Italian restaurants make spaghetti. We are disciples who make disciples of Jesus. It's what we do. So every choice, every program, every sermon, every song, every posture as a community is about going deeper with Jesus. Full stop. Let me say that again. This means that every choice, every program, every sermon, every song, every posture as a community is about going deeper, leading others or ourselves going deeper with Jesus. Full stop. No buts. <laughs> That's what being a follower of Jesus is about. That's what this community is about. It's looking at Jesus. It's a call to deep discipleship and transformation, which is actually pretty dangerous, though, if you start to take a opportunity like now where we're not even meeting together in person and ask these hard questions of us. It can be a little dangerous. Dangerous because we might find there's some things that we've been doing. There's might find there's some attitudes we've had. We might find there's some things in us that haven't actually been helpful or are no longer helpful in building disciples. What do I mean by that? Well, let me explain using the Australian cattle industry, of course. Of course you do. That's where I was going. The Australian cattle industry. <laughs> let, me, um, let me give you an explanation. From my limited understanding, you have two ways to keep livestock um, protected and around uh, around the world. But in Australia, they do things differently. The first way you can do it is build a fence. So you can you have a heap of livestock. You need to keep them. You don't want them going onto other people's property. You don't want them losing them. You don't want you want to keep them protected. So you build a fence. That's the most obvious way. Except Australian farmers have an issue. Australian farms are massive. <laughs> so you can't just build fences sometimes. And so they took a second option. They dig wells. They have a group of cattle. And what do they do in the middle of them? They dig a well. This keeps the cattle nearby. Why? Because water's needed. It's needed for hydration. It's needed for, re- for refreshment. It's needed for life. And so the cattle stay close to the source. There's no need to trap them in. They need water. They know water is good for them. And so they stay near the water. So that's how Australian cattle farmers keep cattle close by. They dig wells. I think us as Christians can easily pick up the same habits when thinking about the deeper work of Christ. Without knowing, we easily lean towards building fences. What we even think of the language we use, what we need to just get is get that person, insert name here, over the line. Get them to invite Jesus into their heart and then they're in. Um, We need to just get them to church and then they're in. Um, Or we put guilt and fear around them, kind of scare them into believing. If only we could win that argument and get them in the gate, get them in the fence. (laughs) And so sometimes we build fences. I want to list three types of fences that I see us build as a church, not just Burley, but 
across the whole of Australia, the Western sort of society, the way we build fences in churches. Let me let me give three, and then I'll give it some alternatives. Number one fence that we build is we build fear. That's a fence that we can build in churches. Let me explain. Jesus' invitation to his disciples was not fence building. He did not say, follow me or else. He didn't even offer them money. <laughs> he didn't offer them anything except for, I'll make you fishers of men. I will we'll change you. You'll become something else. You'll, you'll influence others. Come, follow me. He offered them a purpose, an adventure, and an invitation to capture people's hearts in a new way of being, a deeper path. He didn't build a fence. And so this idea, though, that sometimes we think the only way we can get someone in is we just talk about hell and we scare them in. Don't get me wrong, Jesus did talk about hell, but that sometimes wasn't the initial invitation. We, we think that we can scare them into staying. If you do that, we'll tell someone from the outside of you, if you do that, you'll go to hell for eternity. Well, do you want to burn for eternity? It's not a wrong way of doing things, but let me ask you this. Do you think a generation who grew up watching Bugs Bunny and cartoons of hell and pitchforks and little meaningless Satan pitchers or little devils on the shoulder, do you think they understand the dynamic of eternal separation from God? The answer is no. They don't understand. And so building a fence, trying to keep people in by scaring them. Not that it's a wrong way, but maybe there's a deeper way to see life transformation. Let me give you the number two. Sometimes we build fences that create mystery and discourage questions. Let me say that again. Sometimes we build fences as churches that create mystery and discourage questions. What do I mean? Well, if you don't know what I mean, go try to buy something technical off a salesman. Let me give you an example. I bet if you had it over right now, maybe to JB Hi-Fi, they're pretty good, but maybe and you, you found a very zealous salesman and you said, oh, I just want a cable to connect my TV to my computer. They might say something like, if they're clever, <laughs> they might say, oh, to interface your 4K with your entertainment unit, you might need a HDMA cable and probably a box or something to upgrade. And you'll be looking and you're going, okay, well, I guess I need that. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, but he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So I'll buy that and that and that. And before you know it, you spent a couple of hundred bucks. The reason they do this, and this is a sales technique, is they confuse you enough. They use mysterious language enough that you just can't be bothered trying to understand. And so you're like, okay, I'm in. Instead of just him getting you the cheapest cable he can find and going, oh, you'll need that. Churches do the same thing sometimes. We make it so mysterious. We use words like we make disciples. And then you ask someone what that means and they'll say, I don't know. <laughs> Sanctification, <laughs> predestination, atonement. It's not bad words. They just, if you don't know what they mean, if you can't explain them, if they're not drawing people in deeper, they're just creating a fence so no one feels like they can leave because they don't understand, then that's not helpful. 
We discourage questions. How, how many of you in your time in church, however long, have heard, you can't ask that? You can't question God on that. You can't question the Bible. You can't ask that. Just stay in the fence, please. The truth is you can ask that. (laughs) The truth is you can ask questions because we have the answer or we have a God who has the answer. The third thing we do sometimes accidentally, is never intentional, is we make the holy unattainable for the average Joe. It's a great way to build a fence and keep people in, keep the cattle safe. (laughs) The great fence of the paid professional. (laughs) Only the paid professionals preach. Only the paid professional truly understands the Bible. Only the pastor can make disciples. Only the pastor can do visits. So you need to come and listen because only Pastor Steve, or insert another leader's name, holds the keys. (laughs) What absolute rubbish. (laughs) What offense. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for studied. I'm all for someone mastering what they do, their discipline. I'm all for growing leadership. I'm all for leadership. But leadership that's not about control, but empowerment. Leadership that equips others to have a go at discipleship. Leadership that equips people to do the good works. Leadership that says, hey, I think you have a gifting in teaching. Have a go. Let's craft this together. Leadership that equips, not builds a fence. To be blunt, let me be super blunt because we're in a new season and it's exciting and God has work for us to do. The only reason we need to hide behind paid professional fences, the only reason you would need to build confusion to keep people in the fence, the only reason you need to scare people into line is if you don't understand the genuine attainable thing that we're promising. The only reason you need to sell or manipulate is if you don't believe enough in what we're actually offering. We're not offering snake oil. We're not selling a rusty, a rusty bomb of a car that we've just done up and hope no one looks under the, under the bonnet. We're not trying to peddle magic beans. We're not selling anything. We're inviting people as we see Jesus here into deep, transformative truth and life into discipleship with Jesus. At least that's how Jesus puts it. We don't see Jesus really do altar calls in the Bible. Not that we, not that we understand them. He does invitations, absolutely. I've never seen a verse where he talks about raising his hands for one-off decision. Not that that's bad, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't pump people up or smash people down to try to manipulate or leverage or keep them in the gate. He never asked people to put him in their heart. That language is never used. He doesn't seem to try and control. He doesn't seem to sell. He doesn't seem to try and manipulate people into the fence. Instead, he invites them into the deep work of following him. 
which does look like going through the narrow gate, but also looks like going through the narrow path, walking with him. It's an invitation to journey with him to do the deep work. If you're hearing all this saying, okay, I'm with you, maybe we don't build fences, what do we do, Steve? Because Jesus talks about making disciples, he clearly asks us and the disciples to go fishing. He tells us to fish for men, to teach, to coach, to mentor, to explain for sure. Well, let me encourage us to take this morning some advice from Aussie farmers. And this morning, I just want to encourage us, let's dig wells. Jesus right here in the story in Luke and time and time and time again is unashamedly saying, hey, follow me. I've got deep living water. It's not a trick. I don't have to scare you. I don't have to sell you on it. He's saying it's real. Jesus is offering a deep transformative uh, and life-giving eternal living water. So our jobs as followers of Jesus is to simply, for ourselves, explore God's depth in our own weakness. It's to let others see the journey we're on and share the journey with them. It's to ask questions, to read and wrestle with the, wrestle with the Bible, to disagree with others some days and God, to struggle some days, to even doubt some days, but to keep digging wells. Wells in our marriage, seeking help, asking for mentorship and accountability. You know, in, in recent years, the world has redefined marriage. Sorry, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I think it helps the point. And we were pretty angry about it as a church. We're still angry. As a wider Christian movement, do you know what's funny? And no judgment to anyone that's had a failed marriage. You're broken. You're working on it. You, we're all, we all have sinned. But seriously. Let me ask you this for a second. Do you think the world could have stolen marriage off us and redefined it if our divorce rate wasn't nearly identical to them? Do you think they would have legs to stand on if we had a said, hey, do what you want in the world you live in, that's okay, but for us and our definition of marriage as Christendom, We've got 100% of our marriages not falling apart because they're doing the deep well-building that is discipleship with Jesus. Um, they're digging and they're changing and they're moving. It would have been a very different conversation. Bit of a sidetrack, but we're called to dig deep and not build fences. <laughs> dig deep with your kids. Slow down enough to listen. Don't shut down their questions, especially about God. Don't give them generic answers. Explore with them. If you don't know the answer, find information to explore and dig deeper with them. Learn with them. When I talk about marriage and kids, by the way, I'm not talking as an expert. I'm pretty fresh in this, all this stuff. I'm pretty young in the fatherhood aspect and still fairly young in marriage. Don't put that professional fence on me. I've had my days when I have conversations with five or six people and so I get tired and I get home and I'm a little bit grumpy and I take some of that stress out of my wife or my kids by just being cold and upset and annoyed. 
I need to dig deep wells too. I especially need to dig deep wells too in my family. Do you know, if you shut down your kids long enough, if you give them generic answers, if you stop them asking questions and doing the deep work of discipleship, they'll eventually jump that fence. And go ask the questions they weren't allowed to ask. Church, the water's good. (laughs) Dig deep. Don't get in the way. Be clear. You don't always have to convince your atheist grandson around evolution and the Bible, although that discussion is awesome. You don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes it's just about telling him you love him and so does God. And you want to explore this with him more. The water's good. Be a witness to how good the water is. (laughs) Just point in a direction. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but my goodness, it has been life-changing living with Jesus. And he's that way. Come, I'll show you. Come, I'll show you where the well is. Come, I'll pour you a drink. What, you're riddled with anxiety and your whole world's falling apart and you need someone to talk to? Great, let's have a chat. And then once I've earned trust, I'll talk a little bit about what's worked for me. I don't have to box you. You don't have to get you. I'll walk you there. Don't add 17 religious words that you don't understand to your prayer. Don't harp at non-Christians. Pray for them. Harp at God. Don't say confusing things like God died as the lamb for our iniquities. That's a great thing to know. (laughs) If you know what a lamb is, if you know why he died, and if what on earth is iniquities, (laughs) you may know. But that's unhelpful for anyone outside of being at church for more than like five or six years who would understand that. Who is a lamb? Who is God, they will say. If God can breach the universe and come here as a man to make his ways clear, to make his will known, to express his kingdom in a human way, then don't take his words and make them confusing again. He came here to make it known to us. Don't make it unknown. This is a call, church. Dig deep wells in your life. Read, listen, pray. Be alone with God, fast, not to impress him because he already loves you, but to grow towards him and with each other. Don't perform. Don't be be transparent. You don't have to know everything. You can be learning. That's what a disciple is. You don't have to fake it. It's not to continue sinning. It's to grow for sure. So funny enough, we found ourselves full circle back to last week. This is why we are putting some serious effort into small tables and deeper connections with each other. This is why you will continually hear me talk about discipleship until you're sick of the word. This is why I'm going to continually talk about the deep inner work of our lives. This is why in the next series we're going to go into is about deep work and producing fruit. We'll talk about that in a second. This is not some new neat idea or program or cool way of doing church. <laughs> it's not another fence. It's the very call Jesus asks us to do, 
to go out into the deep and deep dig deep wells and catch some fish. One last side note, and I'm conscious of the time this morning. The irony is that the world right now is acting like a fence-building church. Right now the planet doesn't believe in what they've been selling. Right now the West doesn't believe in the gods with a lowercase g (laughs) that they've been preaching in. Right now their systems, their politics, their consumerism is falling apart. And what do you do when you're not sure? What do you do when you're manipulating? What do you do when you're lying about something? You build a fence. And so so they're trying to bring in new laws about being nice to each other. (laughs) They're trying to cure human brokenness with good policy. They're trying to rally against oppression, which is a fantastic thing to rally against. But you can't fix human sin without God. And so they're building these fences. Modern society reminds me at the moment, think about this, of a Christian in the 90s trying to cancel Harry Potter because it has magic in it. Remember that? Remember when we were all trying to sign petitions to cancel Harry Potter? I do as a kid. (laughs) Well, guess what? The world is trying to cancel Harry Potter at the moment because the author just disagreed with the modern religion about transgender. She's shared some thoughts, and now they're trying to cancel her. How's that? They're acting like an angry (laughs) Christian trying to build fences. Their whole thing's falling apart. Why do I go on a big sidetrack that may be confusing to some of you? I just want you to understand that they're calling for help. And the solution for these broken people, for this broken world, is a real solution of the spirit, of its unity, of its rebuilding, a spirit of generosity, a spirit of love, patience, peace, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, and gentleness. Instead of trying to have a go at them, say, stop. Come follow us and let's do some deep work together because the world is broken and in need of a real saviour. I love this passage from Psalms 1, which is kind of acting like as a benediction. It has this picture of somebody that is connected into the deep water. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that the sinner takes or sits in the company of mockers, walking a different path. But those who delight in the law of the day and meditate on his law day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. It, it does not, uh, its leaves do not wither, and whatever they do prospers. A beautiful picture of a tree connected into the source, growing. A tree, a beautiful tree doesn't even have to preach about how beautiful it is. It just is. It's seen. People are attracted to it. People want to know why it's grown so healthy and so straight, I guess, in a way, and and produced fruit. So three questions to ask your tables or your friendship groups. What does it look like to lean into God's call for deep transformation in your life? What does it look like to lean into God's call for deep transformation 
in your life? How do you lean into the deep? Second question, do I find myself trying to build fences or dig wells with my non, um, non-following Jesus friends? Do I find myself trying to build fences or dig wells with, I guess, with my non-Christian friends? And is the well of living water in my life accessible? Could it be more? Or how could it be more? Is the living well of water in my life accessible to others? And how could it be more? Am I getting in the way of what God is doing by trying to oversell it? (laughs) We're going to enter a series next week, Fruits of the Spirit. And uh, normally those type of series will just talk about how to get the fruit (laughs) or pick it. But I'm going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about how to cultivate it, how to grow it, how to dig deep holes so that your tree, your life actually grows and produces the fruit naturally within the spirit. Really excited for this series um, and uh, I'm going to be praying that God stirs in us as we reopen our doors probably at some point in the series and we start exploring afresh what it means to do the deep work. Dig some deep wells and let the spirit change and transform us as we follow him, as we follow Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, a lot to maybe process there as we consider what it looks like to do deep work with you, Lord, to dig wells. Father, I just pray that anything that's from you this morning, that it will stick with us, that it will annoy us, that it will fill our conversations with our peers and our small tables. Anything that you don't want to tell us or stir within us will fall away and that we will be changed, Lord, that we will seek the deeper things. Father, we'll tear down the fences that we try to trap and manipulate people in. And instead, we'll build pathways to the well. (laughs) We'll be signposts pointing to where the water is good. Lord, do work in us. Do work in our church. And do a mighty work in this season. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.